Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. If you know, you know. We can't wait until Monday when a major draw is announced. Welcome to Monday Match Analysis, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Gil Gross. This is the 2019 Australian Open Preview. At long last, we are here. I've been doing nothing all day but drinking this golden oolong tea and staring at the draw so I can make 100% correct predictions as I always do. That's a joke. In case anyone needs a... If someone's new to the channel, that, that that's a joke. I have made wrong predictions, but these are always a lot of fun. If you have been with the program, you know the drill. I go quarter by quarter. I dish out some winners. I tell you what the top seeds are. Upset alert, dark horse, round uh, match to watch in the early rounds. And at the end, I talk about the final weekend, who I have in the semis, who I have in the final, who I have lifting the trophy. Always a lot of fun to to anticipate these major tournaments and I think we are we're all we all miss it and we're all happy this is here because these ATP 250s uh they're great but they're not majors that's for sure. So quickly let's take a look at the thumbnail for YouTube purposes. It is the beautiful Rod Laver Arena. That place is electric. I love it. I've never been, but I love it. Novak Djokovic, the number one seed, will start with his quarter. Top seeds, Kane Ishikori, Fabio Fanini, Daniil Medvedev, Pablo Carina Busta, David Gafan, and Denis Shapovalov. Guys, nobody has a worse draw among the top four seeds than Novak Djokovic. If he does win the Australian Open, he will have earned it and then some. This is a flat-out gauntlet. And that's, I don't know if that's my biggest takeaway from looking at the draw because nothing really, really jumps out at me, to be honest. It's not, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty kind of solid balanced draw, but certainly Djokovic is going to have to earn this. Certainly he did not get very lucky here. So let's just go match by match. In the second round, he'll probably draw Joe Wilfred Sanga, who beat Alex Dimonor in Brisbane, looked great doing so. Uh, an offensive-minded player trades his backhand, crushes his forehand, has a big serve, finishes points at the net. The kind of guy, if if you're going to penetrate Djokovic's defenses, uh, Coming, you know, doing it at the net is probably one of the best ways to do it. And Sanga will try that. That's also the popcorn match. So I'll get, I'll talk more about that match um, after we're done getting through the rest of this, this quarter. 
After that, Dennis Shapovalov, another guy, he can bring flat-out total offense, and that happens to be the play style I like against Novak Djokovic in terms of, which is what I mean by that is the play style, in my opinion, Djokovic doesn't like. Because if Djokovic has a flaw, it can be that he sits back and relies on his defense, which is the greatest defense in the history of men's tennis. I didn't really get to watch Bjorn Borg. Maybe his was better. But that I've seen, Djokovic is the best defender in the history of tennis. Sometimes he relies on it too much. And when a player is redlining, when a player is playing super effective attacking tennis and Djokovic is sitting back too much... That can be a problem for Novak. So Shapovalov, another offensive player. In the next round, he could play uh, David Gafan. I have him playing Daniil Medvedev. Nobody wants to play Daniil Medvedev. I can promise you that. I mean, this guy, this is just a tricky game that people are having trouble figuring out. And that's just not a guy you want to get drawn up with. That would be his fourth round. And then in the quarterfinal, it will likely be Kane Shikori. Someone who Djokovic, outside of a U.S. Open semifinal in, I want to say, 2014, hasn't had much trouble with. However, Nishikori is another guy in great form. He won Brisbane. It doesn't get much worse than that for Novak Djokovic. However, I still have him coming through the quarter. There's, there's nothing there that is convincing enough for me that Djokovic is going to get upset. I, there's just not a single sign that points to Novak being upset. The Karina Busta loss, uh, excuse me, was not Karina Busta. Bautista Agut loss just wasn't very alarming to me. I'm sorry. I think Djokovic played fine. I think that court was a lot slower than the Aussie. I don't think it's a big deal that... The point is, I think he played fine. I guess that's the main thing, is that Novak played fine in in a manner where, where I just don't think that the alarm bell should be ringing, that Djokovic uh, is in worse form in 2019 or anything like that. I think he'll pick up where he left off. So the winner is Novak Djokovic. My dark horse, Nicholas Jari, and I know I'm supposed to roll the R, but I can't do that. So he's going to have to be Nicolas Jari. Um, cause that's like the best I can do. And I think it sounds better if I just say it in my American accent and go with Jari. <laughs> so now that I've went on that, uh, diatribe, he's, um, six foot six. He's got great size. He appears to be a good athlete, not incredibly fast, but very strong. 23 years old, has a huge serve, loves fast courts. He could be a dark horse, in my opinion. Now, here's the rule with dark horse. Uh, since we're going through the first quarter, let me just explain kind of the categories in a little bit more depth. Um, dark horse needs to be an unseeded player who I think could have a chance at going deeper than people expect. And when I say that, I don't mean like, hey, this qualifier made the second round. I mean like the fourth round, maybe the quarters, uh, and... So it doesn't necessarily mean that I've picked them to to go far. It means that I think that of all the unseeded players, they are among the most dangerous. So if you take a look at where uh, Jari is, he plays Fanini in the second round, and I just think that's that's kind of a that's an upset watch, I'd say for Fanini. Now I I pick Fanini in that match, but it's it's close, it's tough, and I think Jari could make some noise, especially because. In that section, 
besides Fanini, who also has a decently tough first round match against Munar. You got Pablo Carina Busta, not a bad seed to have. Uh, then you have Ivashka, who's a pretty good player, but but doable for Jari to possibly make the fourth round where I would have him playing uh, Kane Shikori. So that's my dark horse. Upset alert, I don't really see it. I think the seeds are going to do really well in this quarter, so I don't have one. I think it's a really solid, I think it's going to be a very sound, sort of quiet quarter. I, besides, the the thing to watch in this quarter is Novak Djokovic trying to get through these tough tests. That's what you have to watch in this quarter. Other than that, nothing really catches my eye and excites me. I, I do enjoy watching Nishikori at the Australian Open because he, he has uh, normally a, a really strong um, Japanese contingent in in terms of crowd support. My early round popcorn is Sanga and Djokovic. They also have some history. So it, okay, and then the rules for, for early round popcorn. It has to be round one or round two, and it's just a match I'm looking forward to. Pretty pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Um, these two have some history at the Australian Open. So in 2008, when Djokovic won his first major, the 2008 Australian Open, he didn't win another major for a little while after that. So so that wasn't really the beginning of his dominance, but it was it was kind of his early one-off slam. He beat Sanga in the finals and he did so rather easily. A couple of years later in 2010, this is the only other time Sanga has played Djokovic in the Aussie, so still a really long time ago. Um Sanga did beat Djokovic in the quarterfinal. So they have some history and they've they've played a lot. I don't have the offhand. I didn't write down the head-to-head -head. I should have. But that's certainly an interesting matchup. I mentioned that I do think stylistically, and Bautista Agut is an exception when it comes to players that I think are concerning for Djokovic. It's not so much players who are going to play his game, kind of a similar game. And I think this is often the case. Like, I think Federer struggles more so against grinders than shot makers. And I think Djokovic, who's a little bit more on the grinder end of the spectrum, will struggle more against shot makers than fellow grinders. So I would look at matches like Hachinov and Tsitsipas last year as, and of course, you know, both best of three matches, not best of five. I would look at matches like that, that would give an informed Novak Djokovic a little bit more trouble. Out of form, kind of Taro Daniel, Marco Cecchinato matches, those don't count. Those non-withstanding because Novak was just so listless at that time. Okay, it's time to move on. I talk too much. Sasha Zverev's quarter. He has to deal with Dominic Team, Borna Chorich, Milos Raonic, and the aforementioned Marco Cecchinato. And this is a really tough quarter for me. I'm undecided on a lot of things. It's a quarter that I'm pretty interested in. The only thing I'm really confident about is that Sasha Zverev doesn't get through. There's been a few injury rumblings with Zverev. He had to pull out of his tune-up. He took a really hard fall and grabbed his ankle practicing at the Aussie Open. And 
there's just swirling rumors that he's not 100% with his health. And, you know, it doesn't need to be swirling rumors. I mean, he pulled out of his tune-up, and that's all you need to know. And here's the thing. Zverev has mental hurdles to overcome in best-of-five Grand Slam format. He does. He has mental hurdles to overcome. If he has physical hurdles as well to overcome, it is merely impossible in my estimation to overcome both of those things at the same time. So that becomes a very simple equation for me with Sasha Zverev. If he has any doubts about his the state of, of, of his body, he has no chance because even if he was 100% healthy and feeling good, he will ha already have doubts based on his Grand Slam history. I'm not feeling it for Sasha Zverev, not to mention I don't like him on fast courts as much. I'd be much more hopeful for the French, for the U.S. Open. I don't like him on fast courts. He gets too passive. I think he can he can get that out of his tendencies. But on fast courts, he sits back too much in neutral baseline rallies. He just sits back too much. His forehand doesn't do enough. So the only thing I'm confident about in this quarter is that Sasha Zverev does not make it out of the quarter. Take a look at who he plays. Jeremy Shardy in the second round, or Hugo Umber, I believe it's pronounced, who's uh, playing well right now. Gilles Simone or Jack Sock in the third round. I suspect it's going to be Simone, but who knows? Maybe Sock has wiped the slate clean for 2019. Uh, and then in the fourth round, likely Milos Raonic, possibly Stan Wawrinka, but likely Milos Raonic. And I don't think he makes it through that match. I, I, I have concerns about Simone, who's still playing right now in Sydney. I have concerns about Simone's energy reserve. But I could see Simone taking out Zverev if he has the energy to do so. If not, I could see Raonic certainly taking out Zverev. And that's what I have picked right now. Let's move on. As you saw, I have Borna Chorich in my biggest upset pick of the tournament. I have Chorich coming out of this quarter. Now, a couple things used to kind of concern me. I've mentioned his forehand. It's long. It's a long technique. And I used to think that that was going to be a problem on faster courts. But you look at his best two results, both on fast courts. On grass, beating Roger Federer to win the title in, I always get Halle and Stuttgart mixed up, but one of those, and I apologize, but the tune-up before Wimbledon, he won that, and then Shanghai, great results there, I, losing to Djokovic in the final. His best two results are, in, are on ultra-fast courts. The puzzling thing is, Borna Chorich has never won a match at the Australian Open. I just, I can't read into that. I think as soon as he gets one under his belt, that will kind of be behind him. It's a strange stat, but I don't really think, uh, my tendency is to say, throw that out the garbage. That doesn't mean anything. He's got a great draw. I've mentioned 
in my opinion, his breakout season is this season. I think this is the year for him. Uh, let's take a look. So Steve Darcy in the first round. That's a pretty friendly first round matchup. Martin Fuksovich in the second round. This is the one that I think will likely be a battle. I mean, that's a tough guy to draw in the second round. Fuksovich uh, is playing. I mean, he's just a he's a good player. He's a top forty player. Uh, played Djokovic pretty tight in Doha. So that's a tough one. Then in the third round, his seed, the closest seed to him is Marco Cecchinato, who, and I'm sorry to, to all my Italian friends, and I have many of them who, who follow this channel, and I love you guys, but Marco Cecchinato probably shouldn't be seeded at this tournament. He has such an inflated ranking right now, um, or at least on a hard court, on a fast hard court, his ranking, or his seeding, I should really say more specifically, is extremely inflated. So that's a great seed to have. For Borna Chorich. I actually have uh, Filip Krajinovic, Serbian, taking out Cecchinato anyways. Then he'd face Dominic Team, a guy who has not looked good. I believe he lost to um, Erber, I think, in Pune first round. Air Bear is practically a double specialist, known to pull off some upsets sometimes for some reason. I don't know why, uh, but he does sometimes. Team lost to him. That's not a good way to start 2019, of course. And these courts are just a little bit too fast for Dominic's liking. So that's not a bad top 10 seed for Borna Chorich. And then in the quarters, Raonic and Zverev, or, Z or Zverev rather. And Raonic is tough. It's a tough one, but at that point, we're talking about the quarterfinals. Uh, and I just favor Chorich as a guy who can maybe be a little bit mentally tougher in that spot. That's a tough one to pick, though. I'd have to see. I'd have to see form. That quarterfinal match is tough, but that's why I'm leaning towards Borna Chorich. Dark horse. I mentioned that Martin Fuksovich could be dangerous because everything I said about Chorich and how good the, his draw is, the same would apply if Fuksovich was able to beat Chorich in the second round. And then the other dark horse, Stan Wawrinka, looking pretty good, especially the ball striking. The movement, the, the tough thing with evaluating Stan's movement is it was never that good. But that's actually a good thing when it comes to Stan's prospects, his ability to play high-level tennis coming back from this injury. He never really relied on the movement. So I don't think it's back. And sometimes I see him hit shots on the run where I feel like he's... He's just not planting hard enough and just not getting low enough. Little things like that. But for the most part, he looks pretty good out there. So unseeded can make a run. He fits the, the criteria perfectly for this dark horse ca category. Upset alert is Sasha Zverev. I already talked about why. And uh, two early popcorn matches for this quarter. Nick Kyrgios versus Milos Raonic in round one. That'll be really fun. And that I failed to mention as another reason why Borna Chorich's draw can completely open up because that match should be low margin, a couple of tie breaks. Imagine Nick Kyrgios wins that match. He's not reliable, even if he does, to get to the quarterfinal. And now Chorich could have another easy quarterfinal matchup. So uh, the Red Sea would really open for, for Borna Chorich if... If Kyrgios won that match, and I think that match is going to be tough. The other one in round one is Benoit Paire against Dominic Team. Paire's, Paire's always uh, just a really tricky guy. 
And I'm looking forward to that match because stylistically, it's two guys who who have very distinct styles. And you know, uh, team is all he's like Nadal in in the sense less so less so now. Nadal has kind of become more versatile, but team is brute force from the back of the court. And Benoit Pair is very much so predicated around touch, feel, finesse, eloquence. I don't know. I like that stylistically. Let's move on to Roger Federer, the number three seed. Marin Cilic. Karen Hatchinoff. Stefanos Tsitsipas. Vili. Bautista Agut, all top seeds that Federer will need to get through in order to come out of this quarter. Well, he won't need to get through all of them, but you know what I mean. I do have Roger Federer um, coming out of this quarter. The one thing that jumps out to me by looking at this quarter is it's like they took the most powerful players and put them all in, all in the same quarter. For the most part, I think that works uh, to Federer's favor. So let's go through Federer's path. Here's how I see it. So I have, or I don't have, he will play Istamin in the first round unless one of the lucky losers gets lucky and Istamin pulls out. He'll play Istamin in the first round, friendly first round matchup for Feder. Then he'll play a qualifier in the second round, a, a really tantalizing first round matchup between unknown qualifier and unknown qualifier. Um, Feder will play the winner of that matchup. I'm not saying that they're unknown. I, it's just we don't know who they are yet. Just to clarify, because I have great respect for anyone who can qualify for a Grand Slam tournament. So I thought I'd just clarify that. Fritz, Monfils, or Nori in the third round. And I see that as kind of a toss-up between the three. Monfils is the seeded player among that bunch. He's the 30 seed. Uh, Nori just beat Fritz, but I think Fritz actually avenges that match and and wins it. And I actually have Fritz overcoming Monfils in the next round as well. I might change that because I'm kind of 50-50 on that. Uh, but nonetheless, whoever gets through that, Federer should feel okay about that. Then Basilishvili or Tsitsipas in the fourth round, two guys with major power. I, interestingly enough, just from what I have saw, I, I don't know how I, I haven't loved what I've seen from Tsitsipas, form-wise. He doesn't look—it just doesn't look like—this is a this is a conversation for another time. And I don't really want to dig into this too heavy before I see a bigger sample size. But my initial impressions for Tsitsipas in 2019 is he still needs a bit more polishing. And I just think Basilishvili on these courts, as big as he hits, it, it's going to take— good veteran savvy to be able to deal with that rhythmically that's a difficult position to be in and i just don't think Pass is going to handle that as as well as maybe someone who has has been there done that will handle that so i actually have basilishvili in a in a bit of an upset there taking out Pass. uh for federer again someone who is wonderful at absorbing pace Someone who is completely fine playing without much rhythm. Someone who is completely fine playing without much margin. He shouldn't have any problems against Basilishvili. 
And then in the in the quarterfinals, I have him facing off against Karen Hatchinov. I don't think Hatchinov, I don't think anyone wants to play Karen Hatchinov either, but I I like the matchup for Federer as well. I think that one thing that that Federer can do, which he's done well to other opponents, I pointed it out on Monday, is he can draw Karen Hatchinov to to the net by keeping the ball short in the court, just ultimately keeping the ball low. Hatchinov is a great high ball hitter. He's not a great low ball hitter. Federer can can keep the ball low, not only with his slice, but even his ground strokes have a tendency at times to stay pretty low. Um, And then once again, I don't think you beat Federer with shot making. I think you beat him more with uh, with defense and a lot of good heavy trading, consistent heavy trading. And as I said, and if you want big three talk, if you want if you want me to really dig in on on Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. Check out Monday Match Analysis last Monday. I'm sure a good portion of you saw it. But if you're watching this video and you haven't seen that after you watch this, and if you're interested in some in-depth conversation about how I feel about Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal, check out that video because I'm not going to get too in-depth in this one. And I apologize for those listening that I always call it a video. I don't think I'll ever be able to shake that habit. I try to call it a show, but I always call it a video. So that's why I have Federer coming through. My upset alert is Marin Cilic. I skipped over Dark Horse. I'll get to it after. Let's go upset alert first. It's Marin Cilic. So Cilic also has some health problems. He pulled out of Pune. He's defending a ton of points, made the final last year. He has absolutely no momentum from the fall season. And he's got a really, really tough draw. To me, I don't I don't hate Chilich's prospects in this tournament because I think he's so good on this surface. I think this surface suits him really, really well. But the health problems combined with the draw just screams Chilich is going to lose one of these matches. Here's who he has. He has Bernard Tomic in the first round. That's going to be a really, really fun one. And Tomic is as talented as anyone, not athletically, but in terms of just his gifts with what he can do with a racket and a ball, Tomic is as gifted as anyone. He's he's going to do some weird things. He's going to play far behind the court, and he's actually willing, despite he doesn't have incredible speed, he has incredible anticipation. That kind of thing m- might bother Chilich, and he doesn't give much pace. So he'll force Chilich to generate all of his own pace. With Chil- which Chilich can do, especially on the forehand. But I'll be interested to see. You know, I don't know. I think Chilich likes a more rhythmic player than Bernard Tomic. So I think that's an interesting first-round matchup. Then he gets Andre Rublev, who isn't in form, a very rhythmic player. I actually think Chilich would have no problem with Andre Rublev. Fernando Verdasco in the next round. And I have Verdasco taking Chilich out. I just think at that point, maybe maybe too many too many body blows. Verdasco is a guy who can force Chilich to defend a lot, can put him on the back foot. And if you make too many errors against Verdasco, you're going to be in big trouble because 
Verdasco is going to take a lot of points from you. Verdasco is going to do a lot of dictating. It doesn't matter who you are. So you have to play a clean match. And if there's one thing you can't always trust Marin Cilic to do, it's play a clean match and limit those errors. Karen Hatchinov, if he gets through Verdasco in the next round, once again, similar to Verdasco, that would be an all-out slugfest where whoever made less errors would probably win the match. That's the kind of match that is when you you have two guys, they're just going to bomb serve, bomb ground strokes. And I don't love Chilich in that kind of matchup. If there's going to be health concerns, especially. And a lot of pressure defending the points. All that stress might build up. And we know Chilich can get... a. Chilich is better when the stress is off. Let's just put it that way. It's better when the pressure's off. A lot of things pointing to me. Upset alert, Marin Chilich. Uh, dark horse is Bernard Tomic. I don't want to get into that much. I already sort of did. And your early round popcorn match is Roberto Bautista Agut against Andy Murray. That would take place in round one. Murray played Djokovic in a practice match. I think he was down 6-1, 3 love. There's a lot to be concerned about when it comes to Andy Murray. Namely, also just the fact that he's not expressing much confidence at all. And even the most humble of elite tennis players, even your Rafael Nadal's of the world, where one of his primary principal traits is his humbleness. Even Nadal said, I expect to contend in the Australian Open. It's just the natural thing to say if you're a tennis player. That's how, that's what attitude you should have. And Murray, he would be delusional if he said, I think I'm going to win the Australian Open. But... He's hesitant to even say he's going to win some matches, he's going to compete, he's going to contend. None of that. you got to be concerned, and I wouldn't expect much uh, from Andy Murray. I would expect Bautista Agut to win this match, RBA coming off uh, a huge week, the title in Doha. One more quarter to go. Rafael Nadal, the number two seed. He'll have to deal with Kevin Anderson, John Isner, Diego Schwartzman. Grigor Dimitrov. But my winner is not Rafa. It is Kevin Anderson. Anderson lost in the first round last year. He'll come in with no pressure. I don't think there's anything about the surface that would suggest that the first round loss was anything less than a combination of tough match and Anderson not being the player he is now back then. Because Anderson made a lot of strides throughout the latter stages and the, the, the midway stages of 2018. He should really excel on these fast courts. We saw how well he did uh, at Wimbledon. His path, pretty good. Manorino in the first round. A perfect matchup for Anderson. I mean, Anderson's the kind of guy... Manorino relies on the opponent... Gift, gifting away matches. Manorino relies on those un, unforced errors. Anderson doesn't give them, but Anderson will just hit a much heavier ball than Manorino and will overpower him off the court. TFO in the second round, not in very good form at all, and I wouldn't expect Anderson to have much trouble with that one. Feliciano Lopez in the third could be tricky on the faster courts if you know Feliciano pulls out that serve and volley, maybe. But still, the, the best of Feliciano Lopez is over and done with. And then uh, Dimitrov or Isner 
in the fourth round, I have Grigor Dimitrov making it to that juncture. And Anderson plays Grigor Dimitrov pretty well. Another player gives Anderson great, great rhythm. Anderson's just stronger. They do a lot of trading. And at the end of the day, Anderson has a huge serve advantage and neutral baseline rallies. Grigor just doesn't get enough of an edge. He doesn't do enough there. He's not creative enough. Anderson isn't creative either. Neither of them are. So where the match swings is just on, on raw ball striking ability. And Anderson generally hits a heavy ball and serves much bigger. In the quarters, he'll get either Nadal, Diego Schwartzman, or Demonor. I actually have Diego Schwartzman. This would be a very interesting run for Schwartzman if he made the quarters here. I, I don't know if it's probable, but the thing is, I have Demonor upsetting Rafa Nadal. I'll get more into that in a, in a moment. But I have Demonor upsetting Rafa Nadal, and then I just feel like it, it would be pretty typical for the local guy, plays at night, pulls off the best win of his career, in front of a juiced crowd to have a letdown in the very next match emotionally and physically. So I could just see if that indeed happens, if Demonor upsets Nadal, which would be bonkers, by the way, in, in Rod Laver Arena. Uh, if that does happen, I could see Schwartzman maybe taking him out in the next round, which is what I have happening. My dark horse is Tomas Burdich. Burdich sat out all of 2018. He was 11 and 11 at the time, so he wasn't doing well already. He was injured, sat out the rest of the year. 2018 was a lost season for Burdich. He is, I want to say, I don't have it written down, but I think he's 34 years old, but looking rejuvenated, resurgent. Burdich is obviously capped. He doesn't move well enough. To, to really make some major noise, but nonetheless, an unseeded player who can make the fourth round, possibly make the quarterfinals, for sure. He beat four top 60 players to make the Doha final, uh, and that's when he lost to Bautista Agut in a respectable three-set match. So certainly Tomas Burdich, someone to watch out for. Upset alert, I'll start with Kyle Edmund. I know I'm making you guys wait. Edmund started this year by losing to world number 185 Uchiyama of Japan a pretty powerful small but small but mighty uh Japanese player but a really bad loss a really bad way to start 2019 there's just immense pressure on Kyle Edmund to defend these points he made the quarterfinals that year that doesn't bode well for a guy who who I don't think really has done enough since then to draw upon any real tangible confidence. So I just think I don't like a guy like Edmund coming in and having to defend that many points where where his form, and he had a good indoor hardcourt season, but it doesn't mean much, the indoor hardcourt season in the fall. So he was good in it, but still, I, I just don't think he's in good enough form to deal with the pressures that come with defending as many points as Edmund has to defend at 14 in the world. And then finally, Rafa Nadal. Again, I spoke about it last Monday. I'll quickly recap it here. I don't like a guy coming back from a lengthy time off on injuries on a surface that he will just not enjoy. He will not enjoy it whatsoever. 
Alex DeMenor is the guy I have ultimately taking out Rafa. Let's take a look at his path, though, in, in more detail just so we can kind of go through it. Um, is that – that's Duckworth in the first round. That's not bad at all. Oh, you know, he actually has all these Australians lined up for him. Uh, I believe Matt mm, – I don't know. Struff might, Struff might beat Ebden. Struff or Ebden, I don't know, in, in the second round. So those will be two – kind of aggressive player. Struff is a little bit dangerous. Ebden goes to the net a lot, but Nadal would probably wipe the floor with, with Ebden just stylistically. I don't I don't really like that for Ebden. Um and then in the third round, Demonor, what I like about Demonor against Rafa is he's excellent at taking his backhand really, really early. And I think if if you're on a very fast court, he can really rush Rafa by taking his cross-court forehand on the rise. And we've seen Djokovic do, a, do that uh, to great success. And I think Demonor can can do similar things. At the And then, you know, at the same time, in front of probably a packed and raucous Rod Laver arena, most likely at night, I think that Demonor will will have what it takes to give 100% and beat Rafa if Rafa's only 90%. I think this would take 100% Rafa to to beat Alex here. Alex is playing a lot of tennis. I think physically he he carries himself he carries so little weight. That's what enables him to be as quick as he can. That's what enables him to do as much running as, as he does. He needs to be more offensive against Nadal. If he's not more offensive, he'll lose. But I've seen good things out of his forehand uh, and especially out of his return of serve, out of his backhand. He, he will not mind getting pulled out wide to his backhand side. Is this – would I favor Demonor? No. My gut, though – is that Rafa is not going to play his best. That's my gut. I cannot look at you with a straight face and say if Rafa plays his best, Demonor is going to beat him. I just have a feeling Rafa is not going to play his best. Um, where are we? Dark Horse, Tomas Birch, we did that. Early popcorn, Isner against Opelka. I'll be honest with you guys, this is not a good popcorn match because it might be quite boring, depending on your preference for tennis, but it's just kind of a novelty match. Opelka is just about as tall as John Isner, the, and it looks like he's copied John Isner's service motion. They're basically one and the same. So there's a when John Isner retires, there will be a new John Isner to take his place in the form of Riley Opelka. So it's just kind of a funny first-round matchup. The time has come. Final weekend. This video is getting long. This show is getting long. <laughs> Here's the great reveal, folks. We're going to rip the band-aid off in three, two, for those listening on audio. Djokovic defeats Chilich in three sets in the semifinals. Federer defeats Anderson in four sets in the other semifinal. And in the final, Djokovic defeats Federer in five epic sets. Oh, that's a typo. Goodness me, that is a typo. Djokovic defeats Chorich, not Chilich. Let the record show. Djokovic defeats Chorich in the semifinals. That is Chorich, Borna of Croatia, not Chilich, Marin of Croatia.
an understandable but regrettable typo on my part. Um, I I think Chorich at that point, at that point, I think Djokovic's toughest tests besides the final will kind of be past him. And I think Chorich will will actually offer sort of a, a downgrade in competition and, and Novak will probably play his most impressive. I see Novak playing his most impressive match of the tournament in this semifinal where, where he can where he can really uh, just kind of, by, by that point, he will be fully rounded into form, and Chorich might be a little bit weary because it's going to take all he can muster to, to make the run that I predict Chorich will be making. Federer and Anderson. Federer avenges his loss at Wimbledon. I know Federer fans would, would love to see this. Not that they have anything against Kevin Anderson. It's hard to have anything against Kevin Anderson unless you don't like this all the time. I'm fist pumping. Um, but to me, Federer, Federer has always been able to create, to be far more, I'm using this word again, I know I've already used it, but far more creative against Kevin Anderson than, than he was able to be at Wimbledon. And he's able to win more points in, in a much wider variety of ways. And, and generally, he can serve with him. That didn't happen at Wimbledon either. So Federer, in my opinion, would, would avenge this loss. And I think three or four sets, not four or five. I, I was think I was between three and four. And then in the final, look, I, I think this would be really good. I, I just I can't lie. I liked what I saw from Federer at Hopman Cup, and I know a lot of you said Gil, you're jumping the gun here. This is an exhibition. And I know then some people responded and said, well, it's more than an exhibition. It's not really an exhibition. I think it's pretty competitive. And yeah, the sample size is small. But it wasn't that Federer won all his matches at Hopman Cup. It was who he played and how he won. I can't help but think that this is a revitalized Roger Federer who's going to do a lot offensively. But in the matchup against Novak Djokovic, as we've seen, Djokovic has a lot more margin. Djokovic's game, and I'm not going to preview a match here that probably, and I mean probably as in the odds are against, you would get plus money on this matchup happening. But you got to lean Novak Djokovic in the form he's in. And the margin that his game gives him, the defense, the lack of errors, the offensive ability, the return of serve. Novak Djokovic has to be my pick here. Here's the deal. There will be another Australian Open preview, part two, a discussion with Daniel Scotty. But you should know that this coming Monday, the first Monday of a major, is always comment response. The entire show is only comment response. So in this comment section, I want you to beware. If you have things to say, if you have interesting things to say, if you have interesting questions, they will most likely be featured on Monday's show. And whenever I ask you guys, whenever I, whenever I challenge you guys, you always rise to the occasion with interesting comments. So a heads up, Monday's, next Monday's show will be comment response. So bring your best stuff in this comment section. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.